Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is my good friend Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people in a very special way, Benjamin Hunting. Greetings, bonus episode listeners. This is a bonus episode where we're going to talk about, well, some cool gifts to think about for the holidays. Ben, what do you think? Is that a good idea? I think it's, well, whether it's a good idea or not, it's what's happening right now. So, (laughs) like everything else in life, it's unavoidable. (laughs) Well, seriously, there's a lot of cool ways to give some um, automotive enthusiasts some neat presents in their in, in the upcoming holidays. And I've got one idea that would really resonate with uh, with some of my friends or some of the people on my list. And this is a new video game, Ben. Are you excited to hear about this? Yeah, I am. How new is it? And what system does it work on? And can I come over and play? It uh, came out all the way back in October. It's so oh, it's about a month old. It's called Forza Horizon 4, and it drops only on your PC or Xbox. Drops? Yeah. It works specifically for those two systems. In fact, you can buy it digitally for one, and you can play it on both, which is pretty cool. Okay, so tell me more about this game. Like, what makes it better than the other Forzas? Blah, 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 blah. So what's interesting is when you when you talk about Forza games, they're actually split off into two. There's these really realistic versions of the game called Forza Motorsports, where you get to drive um, a bunch of race cars on um, licensed racing tracks. And then there's these Horizon games, which are really um, goofy, more arcade-like games, which uh, take place in these fictionalized settings. Um, the first one took place in uh, Colorado Springs, uh, like a like a interpretation of Colorado Springs in the USA. Okay. The second one was in France and Italy. The third one was in a tiny version of Australia, and this new one is in the UK. So it's what's in, a tiny version of Australia like? Well, it's like the like it just means that you can traverse from like the city part, a city portion of the uh, of in Australia to well, like the suburbs. And wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well. Let me get this straight. To you, there's one city in Australia. No, no, and no, it's the no. city so portion like, of Australia. No, well, and then you just leave that city, and it's it's like Mad Max to you. That's, well, that's what I'm trying to get at, right? Like it's <laughs> there's there's it's not the full country that they can they can open up because first of all, that would take forever to get anywhere. And yeah, I've heard that actually. Yeah. So it's um it's more of a it's more like condensed version of all of these different areas of the of the country. So this one's in the UK. It's actually in the UK and and Scotland, which is, is kind of cool. Is it in the city part of the UK or is oh, it? Oh shut the- up! Here we go. Yes, there's a city. There's a there's actually a, a fictionalized version of Edinburgh, which is pretty neat. Okay. And you get to do all kinds of forms of racing. It's not just racing on the road. It's racing in the dirt, in mud, in sand. In um and there's also these really fun field like, showcase sheep. event. What? Yeah, you have to avoid the sheep, which is very important. So and what I love about these games is that they don't restrict you in the ways that some of the more hardcore games tend to. So like when you're driving in Gran Turismo or in uh, Forza Motorsport, it'll be like this is specifically for open wheel racers. You have to pick an open wheel racer, and even if you're terrible at driving them, you have to drive this and try to have fun doing that. Yeah, and it's 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 really limiting. And if you're not if you're trying to have a casual fun time um, in your racing game, you, it can really take pull you out of that element. Forza Horizon, man, I can you can take a a, a power wagon and race it against um, like. Acura Integra's if you're really interested in doing that. So the, you can go off-roading. You can drive things on the on the road as well. It's quite impressive. The, the Two questions. Is there yeah, a hovercraft available? Okay, no. But uh, there is a hovercraft race. 
where you get to that's one of the other elements of the game there's these cool showcase events where you get to take a car and and drive it against something completely unrealistic so including uh not unrealistic but just something that wouldn't be raced against so like a hovercraft or a train or an airplane so i don't I, so so you don't get to actually drive the hovercraft but you have to no. beat the hovercraft you have to beat the hovercraft okay yes. you remember Which that is really... no go on go on which is really fun. It's really cool. And there's one really unique um, showcase event where you um, they they you know you know how Xbox's Halo game or I guess that was a terrible way, phrase to use uh, a very strong game for the original Xbox was a game called Halo. And there's actually a very cool Halo event in Forza Horizon, which is uh, which is great. It has like um, it has all the classic music from the Halo games, and you get to drive the, that really cool truck. It's called the Warthog around um, the UK too. So um, my my follow up question uh, after the hovercraft question is: Is it fun to be able to race in these kind of weird ways all the time, or is it like a novelty that wears off? Because I, I just want to. We were talking. You were talking specifically, but I, I I agree with you that a lot of these games they restrict what you're racing to very specific types of vehicles, and that can seem annoying. But at the same time, the the game designer is constructing an experience that is very specific that they that they want you to have and that they feel is fun, and they put a lot of effort into that. So when you go into an open world situation like this one, um, mm-hmm. where it's, it can be essentially a free-for-all, do you think that dilutes the fun at all? Do you think it's like after a while you're just like, oh, I'm kind of bored of like crushing Nissan Micros with my power wagon? Or do you, do you kind of crave for like more structure? How does the game address that? Well, actually, it's a really good question because the game addresses it in a number of ways. First of all, it does have some like um, uh, more than a few actual um, races that are they they say restricted to this thing there's also a few like almost story like elements where you play this mode where you're like um a, an aspiring stunt driver or they're they're filming a um an action movie on the horizon grounds and um you're going to do all the stunts for it so you get to drive these cool cars during that aspect um if you don't like the restrictions being put on on the specific race you can change them up as you as you want so they just like you said, the developers have in, have given you what they think will be fun, but if you're not into that, you can change it and, and you can customize it as much as you want. It's really easy to to do as well. So, um, tell me more about the cars in the game. Like, okay. can, can I can I customize them? Can I create my own cars? Oh my can God, I can yeah. I import cars? Like, how does that work? Okay, so you can. There are 450 cars in the game. That's a ton. Um, and you can customize every single one. You can put new wheels on them. You can raise them because there's a lot of rallying involved. You can change the suspension. You can even, there's even body kits from, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, from like Rocket Bunny and Liberty Walk that oh, that's you can really cool. put onto, onto some of the, some of the cars as well. I'm into that. Um, you can tune every aspect of the car as well. If you think that the gearing needs to be changed or you want to change the tire pressure to get more grip in certain situations or even increase or decrease the downforce um, on your adjustable arrow that you've added to the car, you can do that as well. So there's some really cool, um, I wouldn't call them like super simulation style tuning elements to the game, but it is much more immersive for those enthusiasts who want to do more than just jump their cars off ramps. One of the things I'm really disappointed, though, is that there are two missing automakers in this 450-car lineup. There is one are of them no, Toyota? Yeah, one of them is Toyota, and the other one is Mitsubishi. And that's a huge 
That's a huge myth. There's a few Toyota trucks, and I don't know what's the deal with that, but man, there are so many cult classics between Toyota and Mitsubishi. There's Toyota Supras, there's AE86s, there's the, there's the Scion FRS, and the all GT86. the Evos. Then there's all those Evos, and the, and the Mitsubishi 3000 GT, and the FTO, and the Pajero, and if we're going to talk about like rallying and, and stuff like that, these are cars that have so much riding on them and to not have them in the in the game is a huge myth so i imagine that has a lot to do with um licensing agreements and and certain partnerships within the developers and those automakers but it's a bit of a it's a bit of a bummer to see those not there i actually uh came across some information about this the other day while looking at another subject that was video game related but apparently toyota has uh, decided that racing games portray its products in a negative or dangerous light and they don't want Mm. to uh, influence children into thinking they should be street racing or doing crazy stuff with their cars. So they've pulled a lot of licensing from video game manufacturer, manufacturers. And what that means is, you know, the new PlayStation uh, Mini that's coming out. It's basically like the like the the SNES Mini or the the, the yep. NES Mini. So it gives you the chance to play classic PlayStation games yeah. in a small form factor. Well, you won't see Gran Turismo on there. Because the, because Toyota says no deal to, to no deal to the licensing. So the original license the original licensing agreement did not include future distribution um, in this format. So they they have the ability to say no. It's like a this is kind of off topic, but it's like there was a time in the '90s when a lot of older TV shows were coming out on DVD. Mm-hmm. And the problem that a lot of the networks and production companies and syndication companies had was when they licensed the music that was used on these TV shows, it was only for use in broadcast because no one was really thinking in the 70s, oh, it's going to be on VHS one day and people will want to buy it, let alone DVD. So they had to – shows like The Wonder Years didn't come out for a very, very, very long time because the music was so integral to that show, yet no licensing agreements existed. And in the period of time from like the, I guess, late 80s, early 90s, I can't remember exactly when Wonder Years was on, to like the 2000s, the licensing for those songs became really expensive. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't work it out. And it, some shows like WKRP in Cincinnati, which is a show about a radio station, they just replaced everything with generic music. <laughs> and wow. had, had, yeah, it has this weird like, here's a generic rock song as we fade in from being on the air kind of feel to it. Whereas the original show had music of the era. And I think uh, just last year, WKRP got a release that actually had licensed music. But it's it's a tricky issue. It's people aren't forward thinking when they sign legal documents, basically, and you end up in situations like this with the video game. So I want to I want to continue talking though because you brought up some interesting things about music and in specific um, the Horizon series were was always billed as not just a car game but a music game as well in a way it was meant to say that if if something like this Horizon Festival which is a combination of car uh, car culture and music culture coming together um, would exist this is how it would happen and the first three games used to have unbelievable soundtracks or they did have unbelievable soundtracks. I actually um, have put a bunch of the songs on my Spotify playlist. I love them. And I listen to them when I'm, when I'm just um, drive, going out in a nice drive. Unfortunately, I found that the Forza Horizon 4 soundtrack was not among my favorite ones that I've listened to. In fact, I don't have very many uh, memorable songs at all from the, the new game soundtrack. And that's a huge miss for me because I know maybe some... it's, Do you think maybe it's because you're getting older, Sammy, and you just don't know what the kids are into anymore? Yeah, maybe. And that's really depressing to think for, about. For people out there listening, Sammy is 48 years old. <laughs> I'm not 48. All right, he's 46. Um, Sorry. I'm not even close. Born okay, on a anyways. leap year. 
So um, I will recommend this game. Another thing to, to point out is it does have a, a fairly robust online function. However, in some cases, it's not the most polished aspect of the game. Sometimes some weird hiccups occur. But if you have friends and you don't want to race with them, you just want to drive around this fictionalized version of the UK, it's very easy to do that. Um, there's two ways to get this game. You can get a full Ultimate Edition or you can get a Standard Edition. That Standard Version is about $55 US, um, while the Ultimate Edition will be much more expensive. To almost, it's close to $100, but it also gives whoa, you all whoa. of these... Ex all of these expansion packs there's going to be two expansion packs they've already announced one it's coming really soon in december um it's um it's called storm island i think so it opens up another area to to drive with some unique uh scenery and it all, you also get um a lot of the dlc the downloadable content stuff like the extra cars and you'll get um a way to earn credits much quicker Okay, so like it's you don't necessarily get a ton right away, but over time you'll just have more access to things that other people would have to buy. That's right. Yeah. Hundred dollars seems like a lot for a video game. A am I uh, wrong? I honestly, I used to think that way too, but I've been learning that many games um, are way more expensive than when we were kids. Um, the that <laughs> well, they were still expensive when we were kids. I mean, I remember games being fifty bucks when I was like ten years old, and that's a lot of that was a lot of money for that era. So I, I understand that, but it just. To have multi-tiered, I guess the the idea of in-game purchases has really changed how video games are priced. I mean, that new many new games are, are about sixty bucks, um, and that's just the base the base version of the game, right? Like that doesn't come with those extra options or those extra features or a way to um, capitalize on the game after you've finished it. So, like expansion pack coverage. Well, so, uh, Sammy, what I wanted to talk about for our, our gift guide episode is completely in the other direction in terms of uh, presentation. It is not digital. It is not a video game. It is not something you can turn on what? in any way. No, I know. It's surprising. It is a book. Um, it is a It is a book called Hot Wheels from 0 to 50 at 164 scale. And I've had this in my possession for the last month. And I just want to say I, I've written a few small histories on Hot Wheels myself for various clients. And I believe I did one for Auto Guide too. Um, yeah. But this thing is a, it's written by Chris Palmer and it is a labor of love that honestly goes far more in depth, I think, than I was even prepared for when I first found out about the book. I just want to say too, uh, the presentation of the book itself, it's it's a hardcover. It's about medium size, but it comes in a case that mimics the style of the plastic carrying cases mm -hmm. that you would normally get for Hot Wheels, for, for Hot Wheels cars. And then you open it up and you have this gorgeous book inside and I really appreciate that kind of attention to detail. I think that's that's really neat. And uh, I, you shouldn't expect anything less from a book that's basically about design, <laughs> um, especially industrial design or commercial design. But uh, the book starts at the very beginning, back when Mattel was before Mattel. And the people who were behind Mattel were trying to figure out where they wanted to push the company. It talks about the, the Barbie days um, and how uh, Elliot Handler, who was the... Um, the impetus behind, all right, we, we want to get cars out there. I didn't know this, but Sammy, back in the early part of the last century, there were plenty of toy cars, but they weren't like Hot Wheels in the sense that you couldn't really play with them. They okay. were – the wheels would roll just begrudgingly. Like they, they weren't designed to be pushed around. It was just like, okay, they roll because the wheels on a real car roll. They, they didn't have um, proper axles. They didn't have bearings. And oh, wow. um, 
the, the, the people at Hot Wheels were like, look, we think we can get kids actually playing with these cars. And if we think we can get them doing that, then we're going to sell so many more than anyone else out there currently. And they were right. Uh, they came up with a they, – they used a, a, a mandolin wire that was left over from another project that had been that had been abandoned to create the axle in the cars. And then they, they put a bearing for the wheels. They made the wheels out of uh, Delrin, which is a type of plastic that has very low friction. And the inside of the wheel has a lip that the outside doesn't. So the, the actual part of the wheel that's touching the ground is is much smaller than it would appear when you look at a Hot Wheels car. And the reason, yeah, the reason they did all that was they're like, look, not only can kids play with these wherever they want, but we'll make these racetracks for them. And you can, you can drop them from the top of a wall and all of a sudden they're going super fast. The kids are going to be really into that and you don't need batteries or anything. It's just these are fun to play with. And, Very um, cool. Yeah, it, it's 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 really interesting to to think that you know what we take for granted now, cars that are fun to play with, was something that was revolutionary when it first came out. Um, I mean, I I I mean, I know many enthusiasts love diecast cars, and it's really turned into it's turned into a whole different animal now. Some people collect them to play with them. Some people crack them out of those boxes and and roll them around. Or I'm I'm holding one right now and. Some people like to – what I especially love, and this is going to go, I think, contrary to the more popular opinion, are the really wild, non-realistic um, die-cast models. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, those I think really those are – really weird cars. I think those are cool too. I feel the same way. And uh, I would love to know if if this book gets into the design and creation of those um, those really creative um, yeah, parts. Defi- definitely. And it, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, a lot of the people who are involved in Hot Wheels, they either came from the automobile industry or they were headhunted from the automobile industry as designers. Oh, oh cool. And uh, one of the things that those people, uh, Larry Wood is in this book talking about, one of the things that the, the, that's cool for designers is that let's say you're a young designer and it's the 60s and you want to work on a car. Well, chances are you might just work on a door handle. Or you mm-hmm. might just work on a dashboard. You don't get to actually – the opportunity to bring a car to fruition from scratch is very, very rare. And it's not something that will happen later in your career. And then all of a sudden you end up at Hot Wheels. And they're like, hey, make a car for us. And you have all of this freedom to do that because there's 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 a template. Like it has to be this size, right? And here's where the axles go. But everything else is like your imagination, especially when Hot Wheels first started out. Mm-hmm. with their initial models so a lot of these guys um one of the the hot wheels designers i learned that he, they based one of the cars on a custom el camino that he had he had, had built for himself <laughs> and they're like that that would make a really neat design and uh, a couple of the other ones they, they were based on either hot rod and custom cars from the era that were modified slightly or th- some of them were concept cars that were never built but they're like hot wheels they're they, well we can build them it's not going to cost us anything to do that so um, there's there's a lot the, the original the Sweet 16 is the the original 16 cars okay that that came out from Hot Wheels and about half of those are just off the dome custom vehicles exactly like you described and a lot of them became you know they're still around today um, the, the, some of the some of these vehicles they've like the Diora is a great example it's like a kind of a weird pickup truck concept and you can still go out and buy versions of that right now at the supermarket or, oh, the, yeah. or Walmart or whatever. Um, the, the other thing I thought was neat is when they're talking about the design is, um, 
back in that era, they would make what were called three up and four up models of Hot Wheels. And those would be four times to three times the size of the actual 164 car. And they, okay. would make the, they would make them out of clay. But one thing that they had to do was, since these models were going to shrink, if there were details in the car, they would have to over-exaggerate them. Like if there was a gas cap or a door handle or a light. Because when you shrunk it, it would be insignificant. You would no longer see it. So you'd have to keep proportion in mind while you were building the models at a larger size to realize, hey, I want people to be able to notice this detail when this car is four times as small. So that's something I never thought about. Nowadays, it's all done on computers. They don't do any modeling at all anymore. And in fact, some of the Hot Wheels original designers, they work as consultants now, but they stopped designing because they really enjoyed that aspect of it, the the, the physical manifestation of their designs. Um, so it's kind of like a changing of the guard in that respect. But there's so much in this book. It goes beyond the designers. It talks about um, how they how they started working with movie tie-ins because they discovered kids liked playing with cars that were they they'd seen on the movie screen or the TV right, screen. Right. They talked about um, designing all of the tracks. How they how they tried to keep the cars fast, but they'd have to have certain sections that slowed the cars down so they didn't just fly off the track. They put little lips on the tracks for that reason. Some of the all the angles are precisely calculated for for when they were building the loops or the corners to make sure that things just stayed fun and didn't get too complicated. Um, it talks about. Uh, all, all the different production decisions they had to make over time, uh, the different colors, like the Spectra Flame colors that were originally out, the color-changing models. It's just really fascinating. It's There's so much that went into this book. It's beautifully illustrated. Um, there's it's, so much can, detail. That's, so, yeah. that's like so much history on something that probably so few people thought about, which I love. I love hearing so much more about uh, a very a very abstract subject like this. It's clearly it's clearly a labor <clears throat> of love. I mean, Chris Palmer is passionate about the subject. That that comes through on the page. Well, the one thing that's a little weird about the book is um, there's not a lot of first person interview presentation, and I want to explain what I mean by that. Okay. A lot of the time, the, you could tell that the author is talking to someone who it was involved in production of the cars, and instead of using their own words. It's it's paraphrased, so there's not a lot of direct quotations, which I thought was a little strange because I, I would have loved to hear uh, some of these people talk in their own words about um, about you know, you know their their point of view on Hot Wheels. Right. But I, it's a very small um, quibble that I have with the book. And uh, the other thing that's nice about it is uh, there's a, there's a section on the back about collecting. Like if you want to get into it, what stuff's rare, what stuff's not, how mm. people like to collect. Like you said, some people take them out of the, the box, which is what I do. Other people, they, they keep them in a drawer or they put them on a wall, never open them up. Um, but the, the thing that's nice about this book is it's not super expensive. The retail price is 40 bucks, but you can get it on Amazon for 25 mm. And if you have someone in your life who loves Hot Wheels or just loves cars – I think that something like this, something that's as attractively presented as this and easy to read, I mean, this is a subject you can't just go out and find this information somewhere else. You're not going to go online and find the, something in this detail. You're not going to find another book that really kind of gets to the heart of what Hot Wheels is. And I was really impressed with it. That's awesome. Okay. So I want to let's talk about Hot Wheels for a second. Do you have a favorite Hot Wheel that you own? And what do you think about the Twin Mill and Twin Mill 2, which is arguably like the the iconic Hot Wheel diecast. It's it's funny you should say that because I'm looking right now at the Twin Mill life-size really? one that they built. Yeah, I'm on that page oh, right cool. now. Um, at the it's at the Peterson Museum. Yeah, and you can actually see the, the life-size one that they built. Uh, the, the 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 Twin Mill, if I'm not mistaken, that was one of the the original sixteen. Yeah. That that first came out and um. 
It's actually something I'm going to read. I'll, I'll try and find it because there's a detail about it that I think you would find interesting. When they were when they were building the twin mill, I'm okay, not sure if I'll be it. able to find it live. But uh, it, it's it it wasn't. Uh, <clears throat> some of the vehicles in that original Sweet 16, they had been named after other vehicles that were on the market, and then there were licensing issues. So like there was <laughs> one that was called uh, the it was called the Cheetah, and they had to change it to the Python. But like. <laughs> In between that, uh, there's like a run of cars that came out with the wrong name. So those are super rare if you can find those. And uh, some of the original ones they called a, a Ford J car. It was based on the GT40 Mark IV. Oh, um, weird. Yeah. So they and, got – wait. They got the name – they got Ford but not the GT40. Yeah. They, 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 for whatever reason, they're like, no, we're going we're gonna to make, make it this way. But uh, it's it, – this I, – I can't find that uh, – the, okay. the twin mill thing. Well, then that's but, uh, fine. We're promoting the we're promoting the book so people can want to read it on their own. If you say it's interesting, I'm sure everyone's going to run out there and get it. <laughs> so yeah, um, Sammy. Yes. What I I didn't answer your favorite Hot Wheel question. Oh it's, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird answer. So when I was a kid, I had this Hot Wheel, and I think it was a it's it's it was gray and silver, and it was a Stutz Bearcat, I think. But to me. It was called Kenner. I named it Kenner as a child, and I don't know why. And it became my favorite Hot Wheel. And, and I, I kept it for, like, so many years. And it's I, – I didn't know what a Stutz was back then. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners aren't familiar with Stutz. They're kind of a, a really obscure car company. Um, but, yeah, I think that would probably be my answer. I don't know if I have a favorite one today. I, I just okay. – I, just, I mean, I put you on the spot, too, so... They're fun cars. Yeah. I, I just think it's fun to have... I'm, I'm never going to be able to own all the cars I would like to drive, so it's kind of fun to have these little ones around uh, that represent them. Did you what, used to have any of the cool tracks? Uh, I did not have a lot of tracks. I had some. Okay. Um, I had some of the ones where you would crash into each other and they would show damage. Um, I had I had one of those cars. It was like an X track that you would like, and it had like an air pump, and you would hit the hit yeah. the the pump, and they would fly super far <laughs> yeah. into each other. Um, I got a pre- I got a uh, track as a present for my birthday a couple of years ago that's like mechanized and it, it keeps them running but it's really tough because they get really fast and they fly off and you have to have a lot of space and anyway you know I live in a tiny box um, <laughs> so it's, it's hard I, I I put it underneath my sleeping stool and when I'm not sleeping on my stool I sometimes look at the track but uh, yeah <laughs> what about you what's what's your favorite Hot Wheels Sammy <clears throat> I'm not nearly as much of a collector as some of the other people I know or even close to you. Uh, a collector as yourself. <clears throat> so I know the twin mail and I know that's one of my favorites. Um, it's it's always one of the cooler ones. And then, like I said, I'm also in love with um, those other really creative designs. There's uh, another one. It's actually called the Sweet 16, which looks a little bit like uh, one of those Lincoln or Cadillac 16-cylinder um, um, cabrios or something like that. And it's so cool. I love it to death. And I think they've done a couple of different versions of it over the years. But I haven't seen one in a long time. I used to I used to go nuts when I used to see them in in like the Walmart or something. And um, it's uh, it's cool. Like I said, I love those really creative ones that um, are out there. There's another one that I have. I'm playing with right now. It's called the Governor, and uh, it's an older one as well. And it's one of my favorites as well. It's really badass. It looks like a wannabe NASCAR slash um, Batmobile, and I think that's super cool. So there is one one thing I wanted to say as we wrap up our our bonus gift me, guide. It's it's that um you know around the holidays whatever holiday you you celebrate yourself don't feel the need to actually buy something for someone don't feel the need to um 
to tune into consumer culture if you're not into that. Uh, I, I realize that a lot of what we talk about on the podcast is directly related to consumer culture because it's related to new cars, which is essentially the cycle of consumption. But spend time with someone you love, uh, make something for them that they can use in their life or that will that will help them or do something for them that will help them. And that's just as good, if not better, uh, compared to, you know, just putting some cash down on something that uh, might provide someone with some entertainment for a little while and then is instantly forgotten. So what won't be forgotten is the fact that you cared about somebody. And uh, mm. I, I think that's an important thing to remember. I completely agree with you there. And uh, it's it's the way I have to go with many of my gifts because I'm not sure any sort of gift really portrays how I feel about uh, the people that I want to to treat in my life. Well, that, that really disturbing piece <clears throat> of art you sent me for my birthday um, certainly yeah, that, portrayed something. That, yeah, after that. I, I mean, you made an effort. Yeah. I, can't, I can't I can't argue that it but uh, reminded me of you it reminded me of a lot of things I wish I'd forgotten um, but uh, anyway if you want to hear more of our podcast that isn't bonus episodes or maybe other past bonus episodes mm-hmm. you can go to unnamed you can find us there you can go to our Facebook page unnamed automotive podcast you can subscribe to us on uh, Apple Music, iTunes, Google Play Music, Google Podcast, Google, Google, Google something, <laughs> CastBox, Spotify. We are out there. Unnamed yeah. Automotive Podcast. Sammy, if people want to get a hold of us and talk to us about how they're feeling this holiday season, how can they do that? Uh, first of all, I, I really do encourage them. I know that uh, the, the holiday season can get people feeling a little blue or cranky. Just send us an email if you're not feeling it. You want to talk, If you want to rant about cars, we'll be, we'll be happy we are, to do that with you. We are always available. Um, you can do that with a – there's actually a, a contact form on the website. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can also contact us through Facebook. We have a Facebook page. So if you look for Unnamed Automotive Podcast, you'll – You'll find that with ease, I promise. You can also get in touch with um, us through email. You can reach Ben. He's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. <laughs> and you can also reach us to, reach out to us on our respective social media uh, profiles. So I prefer Twitter. You can find me at Sammy underscore ha. While Ben, he prefers Instagram. He's much more of a visual guy. So you can find him at HuntingBenjamin. I think that's and- the best way to get in touch with us. Yeah, probably. And uh, until next time, thank you for listening, and we uh, hope to have you back soon. Bye.